Hey, Dog Nation, happy Thursday. Great to be back with you now for what has become our weekly occurrence. We're back on our normal schedule for Cover 4 Live. Happy to have the entire team on hand with us there as well. Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel. A lot to do now that we're a weekend to George practice with a big scrimmage coming up on Saturday. We'll give you a little bit of a preview for that. It was also a busy day for UGA recruiting, too. I'll invite you to check out dognation.com for more on that. Commitment added to the class of 2022. One of the top names, no Oscar Delb, winnowing his list of finalists down to four. All that available for you there at dognation.com. But let me begin, though, with this. This week, uh, SEC Network analyst Cole Kublik came out with his top breakout players for the SEC for the upcoming season. We talked about this on Dog Nation Daily here today there as well. And Kublik's top name on that list was Georgia running back Kendall Milton, head of a handful of wide receivers and a tight end from LSU. And obviously it's exciting for Georgia fans to think that Milton could certainly break out to the, to the degree that Kublik predicts, but he's also not the only Georgia player that could have a season similar to that. So with Kublik's prediction of Kendall Milton fresh on our mind, I thought it might be fun to go around the circle here for a moment and talk about other players that we think could be the breakout guy for Georgia here this year. And I think it's important to stipulate in a conversation like this, that this is, you know, guy having very big season that maybe hasn't quite put up those numbers before. Obviously, if Kendall Milton were to you know, fall in line with what traditional Georgia running backs have done in recent seasons, that would certainly qualify as a breakout type season. So, Mike, if I were to ask you, who's your pick to be the breakout for Georgia here this year? Who's the name that you would give me? Well, other than Kendall Milton, I'd say Darnell Washington. I, I think this is a guy that continues to impress Six seven two eighty with the catch radius power. Um, you know, there's just nothing not to love about this guy. I liked him last year. Uh, I remember Connor and Jeff told me they'd seen him at an All Star. I think Connor might have seen him at an All Star camp and said he was out of shape. You know, we remember the stories from last fall, hearing about you know people pushing him to run harder. Um, I believe he'd had an arthroscopic surgery, so he wasn't in, in really great shape when camp started. There was no spring. COVID took a toll. The kids had to train on their own. Uh, we know he's a father with a family, uh, and he came into camp in rough, sh- rough shape. And then towards the end of last year, you know, we started to see some things. And then in the spring, in the G-Day game, I, I don't know if that player he trucked is is ever the same again. I don't think I've heard his name since. But in the catches that he made, to be, yeah, he doesn't catch it. He just snatches it. Um, Darnell Washington, he's, he's exciting. I, I think he's going to have a breakout year. Yeah, certainly. I, I've talked about I think the Washington's going to be one of Georgia's top three or top four receivers this year. He actually had a better freshman year, especially at the end of the year, than I would have anticipated him having. So he was obviously a sterling recruit, but sometimes these things take time to blossom. And I thought he blossomed last year quicker than I would have even imagined. Jeff, how about for you? Who's the breakout name uh, in your list on your mind? So I want to I want to make sure because this is a fascinating question. Is this a not yet pronounced Georgia starter who elevates the SEC status? Is that what we would consider a breakout player? You know, I, would, I would say that a breakout player needs to be someone that, whether it's an unheralded starter or someone who's not a starter yet, but someone that really puts themselves at the forefront of the conversation for Georgia this year. See, I, this is what I'm going to – I think a lot of people last week when we did our cover four, I, I think they didn't understand me correctly. I'm looking at a player that goes from a piece – a complimentary piece at Georgia to a first team, second team, all SEC player. Okay. And for me, that, that's, that's my definition of breakout. When I hear it, that's a guy that goes from, you know, really nice, nice little side dish to a guy that is incredibly productive and a bell cow in the program. And for me, guys, I'm going to repeat it. My answer last week, that answer is Jermaine Burton. I mean, I was going to think a lot about Mike, Mike's answer a lot there. I mean, Darnell's a quality answer. But for me, it's all on the offensive side of the ball. And I would probably disqualify, and I'm going to sound in my most mean voice possible. You cannot name defensive players for this question because Georgia Why? will not be defined by defense. Why? Yeah, I mean, I have to say that my number one name on this is a defensive player. It sounds like Connors might be there as well. I get what Jeff's saying about – hey, the team's going to be defined by offense. Sometimes those stats are easier to measure. But if I were to think about my number one name, I do believe mine's a defensive name. Sounds like Connors might be there as well. Who is yours, Connor? 
it's Trayvon Walker. This is so easy. You guys are overthinking it. One, I'd also like to point out the player that Darnell Washington trucked in that spring game, Dan Jackson, came back and had an interception in said spring game. So, you know, bounced back quite nicely there. But it's Trayvon Walker. Zero career starts. Not an all-SEC type player at the end of last season. He has sky-high potential. He has a clear starting spot. He is clearly going to play a lot. The Georgia coaching staff is counting on him to play a lot. And so because of all that, I think he's the clear and obvious choice to be the quote-unquote breakout player. I think Jermaine Burton could certainly have a fine season, lead Georgia in receiving. I think Darnell Washington is a stud. I'll be interested to see how much they actually use him and consistently use him. I think that's the big key there. But Trayvon Walker is the slam dunk answer here. No, no, no. Not slam dunk. This is like the rig. No, no, it's not. It is the big Walker, Aziz Ojolari numbers, and that's not going to change the dynamic of Georgia football. But that's not the question we're asking. Who's the breakout player? It's Trayvon Walker. Yeah. Yeah. You give him all SEC numbers, and that doesn't change Georgia football. It doesn't. It doesn't. In my mind, it doesn't. Yeah, but I think that's I mean, a slightly the, different topic. I mean, yeah. who could Georgia most, you know, you know, need a breakout season from? That's a little bit different. But who's most likely to break out to have, if you want to use the Aziz Ojolari benchmark of eight and a half sacks as a, a kind of year that a guy like Trayvon Walker would have, I sort of thought <laughs> Connor and I might have the same answer. And my answer is also Walker as well. And it's really for two reasons, really? you know, closely tied together. First of all, when Kirby Smart was asked about, you know, Nolan Smith or whoever back in the spring, he actually pivoted the answer to talk about Trayvon Walker there at the time. This week when Dan Lanning was asked about pass rush, things like that, he, you know, talked about, you know, big expectations for Trayvon Walker, talked about the tackles for loss, things like that. There is very little being done right now, at least on the basis of the you know time when Smart brought him up unprovoked, you know, provoked. And Dan Lanning in the way that he talked talk this week, there is very little being said about tempering the expectations for Trayvon Walker. I think that Walker is, on the basis of what's being said, growing into one of Georgia's most important defensive players. To me, he is, I think, the most likely guy on the roster, either side of the ball, to be a breakout here this year. Mike, your hand is raised. My hand is raised because the defensive end position, traditionally in Kirby's scheme, does not produce great numbers. The Nolan Smith position, that that what is that, the Jack Jeff? And I think Adam Anderson is the obvious answer on defense, but but can he have a breakout because he's already – I think Adam Anderson is the guy that shoots the first-round draft status. You know, I just wonder how much of it is feeding – You know, sometimes coaches say things just to keep people happy. I, I just don't know how productive you can really be at defensive end. They've had some good ones, Ledbetter, uh, Malik Herring, but the numbers don't seem to come from that side unless they're going to do some different things and move Trayvon Walker around, and then maybe I'm buying it. But, Mike, I would invite you to go back and listen to what Kirby Smart said, though, about Trayvon Walker during spring practice, not treating him as a Jonathan Ledbetter-style defensive end, which there's nothing wrong with being Jonathan Ledbetter. Ledbetter was a really good player for this program, not being a Malik Caring. This is a guy that's already kind of lined up over the ball on third down for George in the past. They've used him as a pass rusher before. Kirby Smart made it very clear. I've played the audio on my show many times that when they think about the pass rush replacement they need for Aziz Ojolari, they're viewing Trayvon Walker as a part of that, not calling him an outside linebacker, but also acting like at times that what Walker's going to do for this team this year is going to resemble more of an outside linebacker than what these guys have uh, done before. Uh, Jeff, you want to jump in on this? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess I'm not reading the green as well as I should here, but for me, when we look, when we look at the 2021 season, Trayvon Walker, you can give him 10 sacks. You can give him a first-round pick. You can give him number four overall. I don't think that's going to matter to change the dichotomy of Georgia football as much as a receiver with 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. I mean, Jermaine Burton's not going to get 1,000 yards. Your perspective is great, B.A. Your perspective is great. That needs to happen for Georgia. But the seismic move for Georgia football, I think when you turn breakout, you turn lightning bolts, you turn about guys that are electric, it's all got to happen on the offensive side of the ball. That's my thought. Hugh Nash says that he thinks that Adam Anderson's actually probably the easiest pick on this. Mike mentioned Anderson's name before. Connor, I'll ask you, why do you take Walker over Anderson to uh, respond to what Hugh brings up in the comments section? 
Anderson has a little bit more statistical production. He has six and a half sacks last season. And because of that, I think he doesn't fit the breakout category for me anymore because I think that sort of, he's already had the breakout. We, we know what he, I think he's going to do. You know, he could expound on that and possibly get to double digit sacks this season. I would not be surprised in the slightest to see that, but he is just a little too overqualified for my book to be a breakout player. Andy Hilmus also brings up Jordan Davis from a statistical standpoint. And that was something that when Dan Lanning spoke to reporters this week, he did kind of allude to the idea that maybe Davis will play all three downs for Georgia here this year. And, you know, even at one point in time and talking about replacing Aziz Ojolari, saying that some of that pass rush might come from up the middle, which I kind of took to be a little bit of a nod in the direction of Jordan Davis. I mean, from a statistical standpoint, you know, Mike, Jordan Davis has already been a very good player for Georgia, but I definitely think there's a chance that he could improve the stats. You know, back in 2019, the last full season the UGA played, his overall numbers weren't too bad. He had two and a half sacks. That's not a bad, you know, total for a defensive tackle, typically speaking. But I could see his numbers, and I do expect his numbers to be even higher than that here for this upcoming year. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of when we talk about stats and numbers, you know, and I, I liked what Todd Munkin said today, not changing the subject but making a point. When somebody asked him about getting the ball to certain players, he said, that's up to the defense. And I would say that a lot of times defensive statistics are, are up to the offense. Look, if you're going to double team Jordan Davis and you're playing quality teams, it's really not fair to, to, to pretend like he can put up the same kind of numbers that Nolan Smith can coming off the edge or Adam Anderson can off a, you know, a, a zone blitz concept or, or Trayvon Walker if they get creative and move him around. Um, and, and here's the other thing. You know, why would you play him three downs? You've got Jalen Carter. Now, now, maybe if there was a big drop off, but you've got you've got so much talent in there. And remember, at the end of the day, even though we all love our numbers and I see so many of these bloggers that just they just throw statistics at things. And, well, these were the stats last year. And and oh, geez, there's an expert out there that said Alabama and Florida threw for a lot of our yards. Boy, that's some really great analysis there. Duh. Uh, you know, look, it, it's, it has to do with what the offense is going to do, who they choose to double. And it also has to do with your personnel, because at the end of the day, it's not about making sure everybody's got the greatest stats. It's about making sure that number 99 is healthy when they play against whomever in the SEC title game. So if, if Jordan Davis is getting more than 30 snaps against, and I'm sorry, Jeff, the UABs of the world or the Charleston Southerns, then there's something wrong. I, this guy needs to stay healthy, and they need to be efficient with his snaps and his production. So what you bring up, I don't think is a rhetorical question. I think it's a question worth asking. On third down, who would you rather have over the middle, over the ball, if you will? Jalen Carter, that's the kind of guy that George typically would put in a spot like that, or a guy like Jordan Davis. And the honest truth is, Connor, I think I actually might want Davis, even though – It depends uh, on down and distance. It's down and distance. If it's well, third and 17 well, or third let's call it, well, well, let's call it third and eight. Let's, let's just say it's third and eight. If it's third and eight – I think I might want Jordan Davis. I think that he might be the kind of person that's either going to occupy an extra blocker, which gives an edge rusher a chance to get off, or the kind of guy that, you know what, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, I think he's pretty dadgum, uh, you know, tough to keep out of the backfield there in that situation. All due respect to Jalen Carter, I believe I might want Davis over the ball on third down there. If Jordan Davis is in shape and he is in the shape that the Georgia coaching staff wants him to be in, I think they kind of have to look at him in that sort of role because you look at some of the sacks that he has gotten in the past. Look in the last two years, the games that he has picked up sacks in. Florida, Texas A&M, LSU, and Cincinnati. Those are big boy opponents, or at least opponents that finished the season all you know relatively highly ranked with the exception of Texas A&M. And so because of that, I, I think he's shown that, hey, he can get after the passer and get sacks and limited opportunities. Can you expand on that role a little bit without taking away what he does best, which is defending the run. You know, Jalen Carter's an excellent player. I wouldn't be surprised in certain situations you see them go Trayvon Walker on the outside, Jalen Carter is sort of the three technique, Jordan Davis is the one technique, and then either Aziz or Adam Anderson coming off that other – or not Aziz, Ooh. excuse me, Nolan coming off the other edge there. I mean, that they have options now with this defensive line because they were so deep and so talented. I think that they can get creative with what they do in their pass rush package. That's why I'm excited about this season with that defensive line front four that Connor just described there. Jeff, go ahead. You know, if we were to tailgate, fellas, I would say this. That's the first dad gum of the 2021 cover four season. Brandon, we got a dad gum from you somewhere in the middle of that diatribe that you were saying mm -hmm. a while ago, man. And that, my friends, means it's football season.
Hey, uh, somebody, uh, I got the name. The comments kind of scroll back kind of fast, brought Kendall Milton back up. This whole topic started with Kendall Milton, but then we didn't really talk about him before. Mike, a minute, a minute ago, you kind of had him as one of your, you know, two breakout players that you mentioned. Uh, I'll ask an old school press conference question. Mike, talk about Kendall Milton. Yeah. Wow. Oh. You know, he, new he was the best running back in the spring. You know, the, the head coach uh, called him out. Um, you know, when, when Kirby's throwing bouquets to young guys like that and, and putting him in front of the press, that, that's a message, right? He had a great spring. Uh, he's had a great offseason, and, and he's had a great fall. He's, he's gotten some reps with the first team. Um, I think he's the most dynamic running back. You know, the fan poll says 60%, you know, and I don't always just say what the fans want, but, look, everybody saw it. If Kendall Milton would have had a spring, if he would have, you know, not had a pulled hamstring, a lot of the reason why – and, you know, and Zamir worked hard and was certainly durable. But a lot of the reason why he made everybody else got hurt. Everybody had injuries. You know, Milton was injured going into fall camp with the hamstring, uh, hadn't gone through spraying. Uh, McIntosh, um, you know, he was he sprained his knee running running back kicks. You know, James Cook. You know, I, I don't know if he's gotten through a season healthy yet. Don't you know? You know, running between the tackles, he, you know, he seems to fall down a lot. I, I just, I, you know, and now Dejon Edwards, you know, he had two great games against South Carolina, Missouri, but. You know, I would have given Centel 125 on South Carolina. So, uh, but but Kendall is he's a beast. He's the moose, and and I say turn the moose loose now. When and how? Because again, I'm dialing it back again. This is my overarching theory when it comes to statistics. When it comes to who starts, at the end of the day, the, you you've got to have these guys healthy in December. And I think the second half, you need to have some guys fresh. That's why I don't care how many sacks Jordan Davis has. I want him healthy for the stretch run. Death, then he can run up the numbers. I don't need to play him on third down. I have young guys that are chomping at the bit. I need him on first down to deter the run and wipe it out. When it's third and eight, his job is done. I have other guys that I've recruited to chase the quarterback than a 350-pounder who might get cut block and we might lose for the season because he's trying to run up stat numbers on Sam Pittman's line. So I'm, I'm being careful with Jordan Davis. I'm going to be careful with Kendall Milton too because I think he's dynamic. Anybody else got a final thought before we change the subject? Hey, I got a final thought. Uh, Mike, right. if Georgia can replicate a uh, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb year on the ground in 20, 2021, who's the running mate to Kendall? Obviously, you think Kendall is a guy that's going to claim it and be the racehorse and go all the way through. Who do you think is the most likely um, Batman to Superman, Superman to Batman? Well, I think Dell's going to manage these guys game by game. That's why I think James Cook is, has been circled for the opener. Uh, that's telling Clemson, hey – you, you want to bring an extra guy? Somebody's going to have to catch this guy on the perimeter. That's to deter the pass rush, okay? If you've got your choice between leaving another blocker in to block for JT or sending Cook out to take a defender out with him, I'm going to put my money on JT Daniels getting rid of the ball quickly. Then I'm going to trust this offensive line based on what I saw at the end of last year. Connor? Can I say something nice about Jermaine Burton? Since I don't want the, the audience to misconstrue that I'm anti-Jermaine Burton here. I think he's going to have a great season. I think he's going to be Georgia's leading receiver at the end of it. I just think Trayvon Walker is, is the easy, no doubt about it, question unquestioned breakout player from this team. Obviously, they need Jermaine yep. Burton to do big things this year, but they also, I think, need Trayvon Walker to do it as well. You've heard Kirby Smart go ahead and say as much. Matt Smith in our uh, comment section on Facebook says Zamir's going to prove some people wrong. It took Nick Chubb two years to fully get back. This makes two years for Zamir White there as well. And I have to say that I do remain somewhat bullish about Zamir's outlook for the upcoming season there too. Mike, your hand is raised once again. Yep. And one of the people he'll need to prove wrong is Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl. There's about eight guys on the Senior Bowl watch list, and Zamir White's name is not on that list. So he has some NFL people to impress. There you go. Uh, so um, we will leave that there for now. It's Cover 4 Live with Mike Griffith. You just heard from Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel. I'm Brandon Adams. And a lot going on with Georgia. We'll look ahead in a few minutes' time to the big scrimmage slated to take place on Saturday. And what can be gleaned from that? Kirby Smart will speak to the reporters once that done. But before that, let me briefly look back for a moment to one of those great rites of passage before the start of the the upcoming season each and every year of the official poll. This isn't like way too early top 25 that blowhards like me like to put on the internet or anything like that. This is the real deal thing as voted on co by coaches. It came out this week, Georgia fifth ahead of Alabama at number one, getting 63 of 65 first place votes. Clemson was two, Oklahoma was three, Ohio State was four. And as I said before, the dogs come in at number five. With that in mind, Jeff, do you think Georgia was rated too high, too low, or just right? 
I think they're about one slot too low. I think four. I think four is the comfortable destination there. I think you got to look at what Alabama's Alabama, and let's let's look at this for a second, uh, Mike. I'm going to throw some shade on Beat Rider Nation, but if they spend more than six seconds putting together anybody, whether it's SIDs, any entity that's creating a poll, if they spend more than seven seconds on their preseason poll, they're probably missing a tee time, or they're probably missing their next story they get right. I mean, seriously, I think Georgia is in the is in the vernacular where it should be a top four, top five team in every cycle right now. Who are you moving down then? Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma? Who are you moving down to move Georgia up if that be the case? This is probably the easiest question of our night tonight. You got to move Oklahoma down. Come on, man. I, I agree with you, Jeff, on that. Connor, what do you think? Actually, I'll let you finish your bite. Uh, Mike, what do you think? I, well, first of all, the only tea time I have involves green tea, Jeff. Uh, and as far as uh, as far as uh, nice. beat writers, now I, I do think that Aziz Ajilari was left off first team because they couldn't spell his name. So I'll, I'll give you that. I do think that there was some been some poor, you know, one Georgia guy makes preseason All SEC a, a position player. That that is just that's shock value stuff to me. Um, I think that there's a lot of regionalism involved in this voting. I think coaches are voting for teams in their own conference because they recognize that you can't put five SEC teams in the top 10, but in all reality, five of the top 10 teams in the nation probably would be the SEC, but they beat each other up and lose games. And so they fall down. Um, I think Georgia, if I were doing a poll and I actually, I do have to do a poll this week uh, for the football writers called the super 16. And I'll print that. I'll probably have Georgia three. Listen, why are we giving Oklahoma votes? They haven't even won a, uh, sorry, Brandon, a dead gum playoff game yet. Oklahoma is what 0 for four in the playoffs. Why? Why are we? Why would we elevate them over Georgia? Okay, they beat a Florida team that didn't show up for the last, you know, lost their last three games of the season. So in Ohio State, you know, hey, Justin Fields is gone now. You need to get yourself another SEC quarterback transfer if you're going to compete for a championship again. I'm not buying into the Buckeyes. I know too much about that program. They're classic underachievers. I'm going with Georgia number three, Brandon. Uh, Connor, how about for you? Uh, too high, too low, or just right? I'd agree with Jeff. I think they're one spot too low. I would have had them at number four. I actually would have had Ohio State at number five. I want to see what they replace Justin Fields with. Obviously, Ryan Day is an incredible quarterback, but they had some other issues last year, especially in the back end of that defense. And while their offense, I expect to be very, very good again this season, uh, I I just want to see what that quarterback play looks like. They go to Oregon week two. I think that's going to be a really good test for them. I know Oklahoma hasn't won a playoff game, but they've actually, I think, started to do some things as far as the way they build their team. They bring back Spencer Rattler, a very talented quarterback. Lincoln Riley is always going to be able to score points in bunches there. They got some nice players in that defensive line, so I may be a little bit higher on Oklahoma than than the panelists, but I think four is the perfect spot for this Georgia team to start the season. I think Clemson and Alabama have the proven infrastructure that deserve to be, in my opinion, the number one and two teams in the country to start the season. Because the Sooners are playing better defense, at least they were at the end of last year, there's a chance this is Lincoln Riley's best team. And I know that they've had great quarterbacks in the past, but I think composite, this could be the best team they've had. But if I was going to move a team ahead of Georgia down to move Georgia up, Oklahoma would have to be the one. I mean, Ohio State, I know Georgia fans don't like Ohio State very much. Most college football fans don't. But Ohio State has proven itself to be a fixture in this conversation. And Mike's right. They do replace Justin Fields. But you know, this is a program that's replaced quarterbacks before and, and not skipped a beat. So I don't have much of an argument against Ohio State. It's Oklahoma that I'd have the argument for. However, it is worth pointing out here that with our friends at BetUS, while Georgia's only fifth in the preseason coaches poll, they do have better odds win the national championship. Georgia's plus 500. They're a shorter shot than both Oklahoma, which is at 7.5 to 1, Ohio State, which is at six to one. So do with that what you will. That even though Georgia starts off rated behind the Sooners and the Buckeyes, Georgia actually has a better shot to win the national championship, at least according to the uh, betting odds there on that front. You know, Brandon, I think really, you know, with my kind of background, I think Ohio State. The reason I have them ahead of Georgia is just a confidence pick or lack of no confidence in the big in the Big Ten. I think, I think Ohio State's going to steamroll folks in that conference, and that's why I think they're probably a better shot to get to 11 or 12 wins than Georgia, just because Georgia plays about three or four teams better than Ohio State will play all season. I and you know, know Ohio, Go ahead. Matt. I don't know what Georgia's schedule this year if they actually do play three or four teams that are better. I mean, you know, I, I think Clemson is better than Oregon, and I, I, th- I think Florida's probably better than Penn State and Michigan. But beyond that, I, I think part of the reason why I think so many people have such high expectations for Georgia this year is 
they don't have a lot of top-ranked teams on their schedule. Other than Florida and Clemson, they're not set to play a ranked team the rest of the season. And so because mm-hmm. of that, I, I think that contributes to part of the reason why some people want to see the Stars align this season because you know they're getting Arkansas in year two under Sam Pittman, year one Auburn from Brian Harson out of the SEC West. And because of that, I, I think that's why there's maybe some added pressure from those in the national media to see Georgia break through this year because other than Clemson and Florida, they don't have the same sort of ranked opponents that some of these other teams do on their schedule. And Mike, I want to go back to something you brought up a moment ago. You know, Ohio State is breaking in a brand new starter quarterback, C.J. Stroud, and Clemson's breaking in a, 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 a new full season starter for the first time in D.J. Uyunglele with his Dr. Pepper endorsement fresh in tow there. Uh, Alabama's got Bryce Young, um, full season starting quarterback. You know, to me, that puts an even bigger spotlight on Georgia, and I think you'll agree with me on this, that for Georgia that did get a chance to start JT Daniels four games a year ago and did get a chance to work him in the offense, continuity coming back. I know that was discussed today when Todd Munkin met with the media. I mean, this has got to be Georgia's shot, and it's got to be the the thing that Georgia's looking to exploit this year. Experience at the quarterback position, continuity at the offensive coordinator, making Georgia really different than, you know, three of the four teams that are rated ahead of it. Georgia takes some things those teams can't say right now. Georgia's got to find a way to make that matter this season, I think. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, you know, I think the, there's a window every year for Georgia because of the way Kirby's recruited, but the, the window is open wide, right? Not only do they have all this experience, as you pointed out, Brandon, but, you know, Alabama's losing six first-round picks and a quarterback and two first-round receivers and a first-round running back. There's a lot of newness there. And, and, you know, they were, you know, the SEC office was kind enough to delay the Alabama Florida game until this year. Uh, you know, the, the, the Gators had their you know schedule last year as it was. Uh, but, but next year, this year, I think Alabama and Florida have a more difficult schedule. I think the schedule is, is grossly underrated when you're looking at which team you pick, you know, with just like when we look at Clemson and Ohio state and as Spurrier said, Oklahoma just kind of rubber stamping their way into the playoff by playing in these weak conferences um, certainly the way Georgia's schedule sets up. Now, granted, you still, uh, you know, play away, um, you know, from the stadium and, you know, you have the, the annual game in Jacksonville, you know, but other than that, uh, from a conference standpoint, I don't see too many teams. Now, and I'll say this, and I know Connor said there's another rank. I think Missouri or Kentucky will emerge as a ranked team. Now, how legit they are, I, I don't know. I don't know how much of a threat they are. I know Kentucky has – Kentucky has given Georgia a little bit of a tussle. That, that hasn't been a, an easy blowout game because they get very physical in the trenches. We're assuming that Georgia stays healthy. Um, you know, I look at the team right now. How healthy are they now? I mean, part of the things that about Jermaine Burton and why I've kind of cooled a little bit on him, this, this guy's been injury prone. Uh, you know, he got injured last season. He got injured in the spring. Uh, he's gotten nicked up again this fall. I, like, I think the guy is dynamic. I think he's brilliant, fast, explosive, all those things. But two things. One, been nicked up and injured a lot. Two, as Munkin said, the defenses are going to determine. They're going to identify Jermaine Burton. They're going to identify him. Now, the question is, can A.D. Mitchell or Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, or Eric Gilbert do enough on the other side to keep Burton in single cover? That's the question I have. Um, but dialing it back, I like the schedule a lot. So I'm in complete agreement with you, Brandon. Uh, the, the window is wide open, and look at Jeff is flagging us down. Uh, Mike, I mean, I'm sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Mike, I'm going to say this, man. If you want to talk about injury, uh, histories to key offensive personnel, I think you got a longer line than um, what you're starting out there with um, Jermaine Burton. You talking about George Biggins? Well, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I'm talking about well, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys, especially that guy that, you know, I'm going to say this brilliant talent, brilliant talent. Brilliant talent, but it's kind of just like DeAndre Swift with certain members of Georgia's running yeah. back court. Yeah, I've said this to you for many years, Brandon. I've covered these guys for lots of years, and a lot of Georgia's running backs are that high-end, top-of-the-line Porsche. I knew you were going there. When they're rolling, goodness gracious, everybody's foaming at the mouth. Everybody's mouths are watering. Everybody's ready to punch their neighbor in the in the stands because they're so happy with how the offense looks. <laughs> but they get a nick. This goes back to a long-standing staple in college football or football in general. The best ability is availability. And sometimes when those guys get nicked, just like Mr. Swift, who's going to have a terrific year in NFL land right now, when they get nicked, they're down for about two or three weeks. And I think that's why 
You know, everybody talks about the Georgia backs, and is it Zeus? Is it Kendall? Is it James Cook? Is it Dejon Edwards? Is it Kenny McIntosh? The brilliance of Georgia's offensive backfield strategy this year is it doesn't have to be one guy every week. One guy can be down. One guy can be up. Georgia will usually, unless there is a major catastrophe for this season, they're going to roll out three, Brandon, I'm going to quote you, dadgum good backs in 2021 most weeks. I like the idea of that. Let me do one more thing on this topic, and then we'll change the subject. Anybody who wants to can jump in on this. Alabama got 63 of the 65 first-place votes. However, I actually think it's not that hard to make a case against Alabama. Mike talked about what they have to replace. To me, the biggest thing you got to replace on this entire organization is Steve Sarkeesian's offensive coordinator. Alabama could bounce back in a big way, but it's not like they always win the national championship. And as recently as 2019, they lost two regular season games, right? I mean, this is the program that lost the 2018 national championship game. They are not a shoe-in to win the national championship, even though they certainly have won plenty of them. So I actually think it's fairly easy to make a case against Alabama to take the so-called field against the Crimson Tide I'm just not quite so sure that I can make an overwhelmingly compelling case for someone to be the team that unseats Alabama, Georgia included. Obviously, UJ's got a real shot here. But who's the easiest team to make a case for winning the national championship if we stipulate for a moment the Crimson Tide won't repeat? Is it Georgia? And if so, why? I'd probably take Georgia just because I feel comfortable enough betting on the talent that they have throughout their entire roster. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. They might have to beat Alabama twice in the SEC championship game and then maybe potentially again in the national title game. But I have major questions about Clemson's offensive line, especially when they go against these really strong defensive lines. Like you saw that against LSU last or two seasons ago, and you saw it against Ohio State a year ago where teams are now able to get pressure. And I think maybe the blueprint, you know, if things go badly on September 4th, the blueprint might be out on how an elite team beats Clemson. Ohio State... They just got their they got their behinds handed to them last year in the national championship game, and I I'm a big Justin Fields fan. I think he's going to be a stud for the Bears. Yeah. I don't know how you replace him and get better. You know, even if CJ Stroud is going to be a very good quarterback, I think Justin Fields had to do a lot for them last year. He was fantastic against Clemson, and then Oklahoma. Until I see it with them in their defense, while it, it's nice to tout their stats and say that about them, until until as Mike's pointed out, until you actually do it in a game, it's just hard to believe that they're going to win one postseason game much less two at five to one i do believe i'd take georgia to win the national championship over any team that's ranked in the top five that's not the same thing as bounding my fist on the table and saying they're going to do it but they're a better bet than clemson at three to one i can certainly say that anybody else want in on this before we change the subject all right if that'd be the case we'll move on here it's uh cover four live Connor Riley, you just heard from Jeff Sintel's here as well. Our buddy Mike Griffith also on hand. My name's Brandon Adams and happy to have all of you with us. Saturday will be an important day for the Bulldogs when it comes to the first summer scrimmage. Now, the way this works is, typically speaking, practice usually takes place in the indoor facility, especially this time of year, or outdoor at the practice fields adjacent to the Buttsmere Heritage Hall, the brand new football facility that's open there too. But on special occasions, they do go into Sanford Stadium. They go full pads. Sometimes it's just regular football. Sometimes it's situational. But this is a real chance to learn what your team's all about and see who gets the best of whom in a situation like that. So a lot of this will happen away from closed doors. There will be some people that get a chance to see it. Goodness knows social media will be electric with rumors about what happens with all of this. But if we were to lay out and say, here is who needs a big scrimmage for Georgia on Saturday, for whatever reason you want to come up with, Jeff, if I were to ask you who needs a big scrimmage, who's the name that comes to mind for you first? All right. Um, I've got a name. First of all, I'm going to thank all you guys on the feed that are giving these comments about Brandon and a certain um, major proprietary drive through establishment and needing him to work in the line, yeah. handing out A-whoopings to Dan Mullen and everything else like that. Thank you. Thank you for that comic relief. My answer to this one, um, a guy that has a slobber knocker, great, incredible scrimmage. I think I think Carson Beck needs to really nail down that number two quarterback job. Seems very elementary because quarterback is the most important position on the field. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what. Really quick way Georgia's season gets sideways. JT needs to take a minute. Helmet knocked off. Whatever the case may be. If he throws it 40 times against Clemson, I think he might get hit five or six times really, really, really hard. Um, 
Carson Beck needs to be that guy that comes in as the number two quarterback in Georgia in all situations. And I think the way he does that, he gives Kirby Smart and that offensive staff overwhelming confidence that he can get the job done as much as number 18 can get the job done, uh, or at least give him a lot of confidence that he can win football games for Georgia. Seven wins in town, just speaking negative vibes into the, into the atmosphere <laughs> with JT possibly getting hurt. I, I can't say I'm surprised there. Uh, my guy, I am actually, I, well, I like the Carson Beck answer. I, I think that's a good answer. It's something that I'm certainly interested in. My answer is Tate Ratledge. I think this guy, I, you can say Xavier trust as well, but I think, and, and we're not going to know, you know, this is something the coaching staff will figure out in the days afterwards, but I've said time and time again, whichever team has the better offensive line on September 4th is going to win that game against Clemson. I, I think Georgia needs Tate Ratledge to grow up quickly, get a lot of reps, make big strides in this spring pra- or in this fall practice, excuse me. And look, you know, Brian Brzee, Tyler Davis, Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas, those guys are great defensive linemen. Blocking guys like Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter in practice is about as close as you're going to get to getting a real opportunity to do that. And so because of that, I think Georgia needs Tate Ratledge to emerge. You could say Xavier Trust there as well. Maybe even Amarius Mims if you really want to get wild and throw that name out there. But I'll go Tate Ratledge as a guy who I think really needs to have a very strong and confident showing on Saturday scrimmage. Mike, what do you think? Well, Jeff Sintel said the best ability is availability. Um, I'm still trying to figure that one out because um, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I just don't because the best players aren't always available. Um, But I do think there is something to be said for durability. I think it's got to be Cedric Van Pran. Listen, until we know Warren Erickson, to me, the Erickson injury is a huge, huge red flag. You want to lose a football game, have bad snaps. You don't believe me? Flashback to 2019 and how Trey Hill got destroyed by Javon Kinlaw. Timing was off all day. Didn't help that Blankenship missed a field goal and a football went off Simmons' pads in overtime and Matt Landers turned the wrong way on a route. That doesn't Jake help. Jake threw three picks that day, too. Well, two of them. One of them went off the shoulder pad of Tyler Simmons and the other one, Matt Landers, ran the wrong route. The other one, Jake, He'll was trying him. to throw it away and uh, a future NFL cornerback made a nice break on it right before half. Jake, Jake did. That was the first game he had an interception all year, by the way. But, but the point is this. If you want to ruin an offense quickly – have a bad snap exchange. It blows the timing. It hurts the quarterback's psyche and confidence. Everything is off. And Van Pran continues to struggle this fall, I'm told. This is a guy who struggled in the spring for all the talent. It's amazing how great we, – oh, he's such a great center. Can he snap the ball clean? Can we do that before we call him a great center? You can block whoever you want. You can have all the metrics. But if you're not having clean, consistent snaps, then you're not a great center. And so I think he needs to have a good scrimmage because if he doesn't, you got to move somebody else there. And if you have to move somebody else there, now we're talking about disrupting the offensive line and shaking it up. And you don't want that this late in camp. So I think Van Pran needs to have a good scrimmage so that people can sleep at night and you don't have to think to, you know, don't be thinking about bringing Jamari Salyer. Don't start messing with that concept. But if this guy doesn't start getting it right, you gotta, you got to have another plan B in place. I don't know the extent of the Erickson injury. I've heard several weeks. I've heard two weeks. I don't know. I know this. If you got problems with your snap exchange, you're going to have problems with Clemson defensive front. Let me give you two names here really quick. And one of these is my real answer. One of these is just kind of, I think, an answer that would satisfy a lot of Georgia fans. I probably spend way too much time paying attention to what Georgia fans are freaking out about online in a given week. There has just been some crazy stuff about Eric Gilbert out there this week. And I just think a lot of it's just the natural anxiety that comes from we're here in August, the season hasn't started yet. People only saw like a tiny glimpse of him in one of those videos that Georgia sent the other day. They felt like they should have been longer. The fact that it was such a short clip, I don't even know what. I even tried to, if you listen to Dog Nation Daily today, I even tried to like casually ask Aaron Edwards about this of, hey, what you heard about Eric Gilbert, you know, uh, to kind of just kind of satisfy some Georgia fans who were kind of, acting like they wanted to hear something about Eric Gilbert. So, obviously, if Gilbert were to have a nice scrimmage and we would hear about that, or if accidentally some video clip leaks out onto the internet the way they did for George Pickens back in 2019, if it's Gilbert making sanction some leak. sanction leak, and that's always going to be what I'm telling you, that uh, Pickens thing was in 2019, same thing with Carter uh, the year after. But if you've got you know a nice video that leaks out of, of uh, Gilbert making a great catch, I think that'd be a pretty good thing for fans to kind of just, you know, get folks excited about what he might be able to bring to the table for the upcoming season. But the other name I want to mention here is, this is not one that you might think, but I've got my reason for saying this. 
What if A.D. Mitchell has another big scrimmage on the heels of having a big G-Day, on the heels of really earning that rumor mill buzz all spring practice? At a certain point in time, if Mitchell were to come through the summer and have another buzzworthy performance in a scrimmage after all he did during the spring was earn buzz, at a certain point in time, you just have to say it is real. You just sort of have to say that Mitchell is a player on the scene and a and a part of this Georgia wide receiver situation. So, I mean, I, I would be as curious about Mitchell having a big day as I almost would be anybody for what that potentially could mean for his insertion really into the thick of this Georgia wide receiver rotation, Connor. Can I give you another name at that exposition to watch? Because I actually, you know, you mentioned Gilbert. You've mentioned Adonai Mitchell there. I think a guy that's worth paying attention to is Marcus Rosemey Jack saying it sounds like he is closer to health than maybe I think a lot of people potentially thought he would have been. And he was out there practice today. There's a photo of him up on dog nation right now, making a catch on Nyland green. So if he's ready to go and he's healthy to play, I'll be really interested to sort of see how he develops and comes forward this spring. You heard Todd Munkin mention him today as one of the more experienced receivers that Georgia has. And so because of that, I'll be interested to see, you know, this is probably his first real serious contract scrimmage that he's had since that ankle injury against Florida. And if he plays well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest to potentially see him starting on September 4th against Clemson. Mike, you want to jump in here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Mitchell is absolutely an option. I think Connor's right about Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sane, and you know the, the Eric Gilbert thing. I, there, there's something something is just the, the beat writer instincts are just there's something's not quite adding up for me right now. It's just the, the fact that Munkin didn't mention him right off the top of the list today. You know, the more I think about Brock Bowers and the role he plays, I go, that sounds a lot like what Eric Gilbert would be good at in that H back matchup role. I, I'm just, I, I guess, I'm going to say this. I'm not sold that that's his home. Now, I know he was recruited to play the X. I know Kirby said he wants to play the X. I know Georgia said they want him to play the X. But, you know, you both have made great cases for A.D. Mitchell and Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint. So where is Eric Gilbert on the field? You can't have them all on the field at one time. So I just wonder where he fits in. I think part of me just thinks Georgia's still figuring it out. Now, granted, it is a game-by-game thing, and – you know, and Jeff was was very wise in his words on on how the Georgia backfield was going to uh, manage. But I think we would say that about the offensive uh, receiving core as well, and about the defense. I think the whole team is going to be managed game to game based on who you play, based on the level of competition. I, I, someone said this to me: Could we make the argument that there's more talent on Georgia's second string line than their first team line? More upside, right? Now, I mean, Amarius Mims is pretty good. There's a lot of five stars that just haven't blossomed yet. So there's a lot of depth here. I think there's going to be a lot of shifting around. I'll be real curious to see where Eric Gilbert ends up before all this is done. Interesting stuff. Connor, one more thing about the point you bring up about Marcus Roseby Jack saying, you know, I'm not a thousand years old, but I do like things that are a thousand years old. And there's an old baseball reference about the comparison between Willie Mays and Hank Aaron that Hank Aaron did everything Willie Mays did. His hat just didn't fall off when he did. In other words, Mays had a way of playing that looked spectacular, but Aaron was just as good. And I think with Rosemey Jack saying there is something somewhat similar there in that somehow, some way, he kind of goes about his business kind of quiet, but he is a very, very good player. He is a sterling wide receiver prospect. I don't think the injury changes that at all. So in terms of Georgia really getting a big just influx of talent to the receiver position this year from a guy that, frankly, I didn't think would be this healthy this soon, that's a really good name to mention. Jeff, I know your hand's up. Let me let Connor respond to me, and then I'll let you jump back in, Jeff. Todd Munkin knows wide receivers. He has worked with great wide receivers throughout his entire career. You go back to Oklahoma State, you think Justin Blackman. His time with Tampa Bay, you think Mike Evans. He drafted Chris Godwin. He is very high on Marcus Rosemey Jackson. You think last year when George Pickens wasn't able to play in the Kentucky and Florida games, Marcus Rosemey Jackson is a freshman start in, that, in those games. That big third down play that he caught a touchdown and ultimately got injured on, that was a huge spot there in the red zone, and Todd Munkin felt very comfortable going to him in that situation. So I think there's a real comfort that Todd Munkin has in Marcus Rosemey Jackson. As you sort of say, you know, I'll save my Hank Aaron slander for another day, but he may not be the flashiest. He might not be the fastest. He might not have you know, Velcro hands. But he does everything well. Sort of similarly, I think, to maybe a guy like Kenny McIntosh in the backfield. A guy who, jack of all trades, master of none. And I think at a wide receiver position, that can be incredibly valuable. 
Uh, Jeff, jump in here, then we got some breaking sports nudes after that. Go ahead. So I got a seven-second take. Mike, you said availability is the best ability. You proved my point with your Warren Erickson, Cedric Von Prong Granger diatribe. Warren's available. You don't have to worry about Cedric Von Prong Granger. Second point, really quick, Justin Robinson. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I thought you were about to say something. So no. uh, we've got an, uh, we got an update. A couple of our commenters mentioned this. Philip Jordan Wells has. Somebody else mentioned this moment too. So Aaron Judge has just gone deep in the Field of Dreams game taking place, the Iowa Cornfield. I'm not really supposed to show Major League highlights, but I'll let you see a little bit of that on Twitter of uh, Aaron Judge. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, Get these Yankees uh, out of here. Come on. <laughs> For some reason, I'm obsessed with this Field of Dreams game tonight. I'm not watching it right now because I'm working. But other than that, I've been obsessed with this Field of Dreams game. And Judge just hit one of the cornfields. So uh, pretty good stuff happening there in Iowa. And good job by Major League Baseball for uh, doing something that's this fun all the way around. All right, we'll move on to our next topic here on Cover 4 Live with Connor and Jeff and Mike and me. Good to have all of you with us here. Um so we're a week into Georgia practice. We've heard from Todd Munkin today. We heard from Dan Lanning on Tuesday. We've heard from Kirby Smart going back to last Friday. Heard from a handful of Georgia players there, too. Mike, what do you think we've learned? For, uh, by the way, Lucy Bowers Boykins, the breaking sports news was just the Aaron Judge home run. It wasn't any kind of like huge neat thing. It was just it was just the, the Field of Dreams game. I'm sorry for overselling. But the point is, Mike, really what uh, have we learned from Georgia practice thus far? What's your big takeaway thus far? Just a lot of competition and and some you know some some concern. You know, I'm I'm a little concerned about the injuries already. You know, I, I mean, tomorrow's the first scrimmage and. You know, we're talking about Warren Erickson. We're, we're talking about Jalen Kimber. We're talking about Jermaine Burton. Uh, you know, these are key players. And, and I know that, 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 you know, guys get nicked up, but it's awful early. And, and it was a knockdown, drag out summer. And, um, you know, I, I, I worry a little bit about when the tapering off starts. And, you know, is everybody 100%? Because if everybody shows up, and, uh, and, and, you know, Centel's going to be on this availability thing forever. But if everybody shows up, this is a, this is a game that, that Georgia should win. Um, that has to do with, you know, consistency and durability. Um, and I think that that's important. Um, and I think that Georgia needs to be 100%. We knew this team was good. But right now there's some key guys that are a little nicked up. And um, I think we'll learn more tomorrow. So, uh, what I've learned is it's an intense team. I, it's a hardworking team. Uh, I think that's kind of, you know, resonated. You know, Connor and I, you know, do the, the Kenny and Kendall McIntosh, Mac, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton show on Sunday nights. You can hear it in their voice that those guys are hungry. They're working hard. Uh, you just sense from listening to Kirby and Munkin and, and Lanning, uh, this team has uh, laser focus. But, you know, to me, the, the availability of a few guys is, is kind of got my ears perked up a little bit. Jeff, hold on one second before you jump back in. Mike, you know, you have talked about this a few times. Obviously, as a Georgia fan, I want nothing more than for Georgia to win that game against Clemson. But I have to say, in your analysis of it, you're more confident than Georgia that Georgia does that than I am. Not to say that I don't think that Georgia will win the yeah. game, but but I can't handicap that confidently right now. What is your assurance on that game based on at the moment? Line of scrimmage, you know, the way Ohio State was able to control Clemson at the line of scrimmage, the fact that – you know, that's not Trevor Lawrence back there at quarterback. Uh, that's not Travis Etienne at running back. It's not the same Justin Ross that was in the playoffs two years ago. Um, you know, Georgia should dominate at the line of scrimmage. You know, Clemson's not as big defensively. It, you know, as long as this offensive line um, can snap the ball cleanly and communicate, uh, JT will take care of the rest. He, you know, he flies the jet from the line. I mean, he'll adjust the protections. He'll, he'll be like Jake Fromm. I love Jake, the, the classic Jake Fromm line. I get out of trouble before I get in trouble. That's that's going to be JT Daniels at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, as I said, you know, we, I, I wanted to do an over-under on the time in the fourth quarter when the Clemson fans started headed for the exits. But, you know, I guess you guys thought that was maybe a little overkill. <laughs> Jeff, jump in here. Well, first of all, commenters are really in midseason form right now. Uh, shout out to uh, Ken Feinberg, who has a very empowered opinion that Georgia's second team could take Clemson. Um, wow. that's some, that's some bravado. That's some definite bravado. I'm going to say this. This is a, this is a question for the panel. Let me your ears, fellas. Is this the best <laughs> preseason hubris that Georgia folks can have, should have in the Kirby smart era? What I'm trying to say there, is this the best preseason 
yeah, we're pretty stinking good um, roster that Georgia's had so far under Kirby Smart. I mean, I, I think the only thing I'll say about that, Jeff, is I think the Georgia fans themselves, for the most part, are kind of like, you know, sicked up to their ears of preseason hubris because I feel like in 2018, folks thought they had their reasons for that. 2019, they felt like they had the reasons for that. Maybe it's justified right now. Tanil Calvino in our Facebook comment section says that it is. But, boy, I think the average Georgia fan has kind of gotten a little bit allergic to some of that just on the basis of the fact that it seems to replicate itself year after year. Connor, what do you think? Connor looks frozen. Did I freeze? Or did Connor freeze? Maybe Connor froze. Mike, what did you think? What do you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely. Not just because I think Georgia is so good, but because Alabama's, I don't want to say they're down, but there's so many questions. As we said, six first-round draft picks are gone, new offensive coordinator, uh, new quarterback. Uh, this, this raises questions in Tuscaloosa, a challenging schedule for the Crimson Tide, a challenging ch- schedule uh, for Florida, an advantageous schedule for Georgia. Great depth on the offensive and defensive line. Uh, receiver ranks are a little thin. You've had six receivers leave. Uh, over the last uh, year, so you, you've got a lot of bodies to replace, guys that have gotten recruited over or you know weren't going to start. But uh, I think so, Brandon, and that's why this number five ranking is is a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, Chad Buchanan agrees with you. He thinks that uh, Georgia's going to roll over Clemson. Other folks kind of talking about some similar stuff there in the comment section right now too. These comments come kind of rolling, kind of coming pretty fast here. Uh, Billy Cloud says, I don't like our front line. He's a little concerned about that. So a lot of folks kind of weighing in on this situation in the uh, comment section at the uh, moment. Connor's back with us. Connor, you want to jump in on this? Um, I honestly forgot what the question is. I don't know if you even remember the question, Connor. Is jump this in the if you best do. season for preseason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff asked about the preseason expectations for Georgia. Oh, I don't really know how to answer that. I would say maybe coming off that 2017 season where, you know, they were in a national title game the year before they bring back a lot of their offense there. As far as this spring, as far as this fall, the thing that's most interesting to me, one, I am team Jeff as far as availability is the best ability. Uh, You need to be healthy and have guys out there that can play all the time and be consistently relied upon for that Two, You know, we haven't learned a whole lot. I'll go ahead and say that this spring, there's been very limited availability. Kirby smart has mastered the way of saying the very minimum about his actual team and what is out there. I've been kind of interested in the discussion around the two Brocks, Brock Vandergriff and Brock Bowers. I thought Todd Munkin was very effusive in his praise of Brock Bowers today. Uh, and, and look, we wrote about Brock in the spring, sort of profiled, you know, how he got to Georgia and how he's been able to play so well. So quickly when it's worth remembering, he didn't get a senior high school season. You've heard Kirby Smart talk time and time again about the importance of that year. And then Brock Vandergriff, you know, yes, Carson Beck is ahead of him on the depth chart right now, but I found it interesting that both – Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin found time to praise him for his, you know, willingness to get in there and learn the offense and deal with the struggles that come with moving up in in competition level from the high school level to the college ranks. And so, well, yes, I I think Carson Beck is still ahead of him on the depth chart. I do think it says at least a little something about how they feel about Vandergriff and how he is progressing so far in his college career. All right, I need to change the subject just a little bit because I've got some confusion in the comment section. P. Rich has mentioned this. Crow King 123 has mentioned this. Mike's uh, alluding to injuries. Mike, lay it out for people what you're concerned with with injury because some folks are saying that you said that Jermaine Burton was hurt right now. I mean, you know, clarify what you mean by the injury situation at the moment here. Yeah, nicked up, slowed. I don't think it's anything serious, or I don't think Todd Munkin would have been talking about him today. These guys get a little nicked up and slowed. Jalen Kimber, these are guys that are nicked up with little things, I'm told. We'll know more tomorrow. We'll see who's out there on the field, on the practice field and who goes, or excuse me, Saturday. We'll learn at the scrimmage. But uh, I don't think either of those injuries with, with – uh, I don't think necessarily Kimber or, uh, or uh, Jermaine Burton uh, have serious injuries. Um, but I think that they're slowed and they're a little nicked up. Warren Erickson obviously does have a serious injury. My concern is that this all happened before, you know, their first full padded practice. Well, not necessarily serious. I mean, he's only out for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't call that serious. I mean, and I don't know how long he's going to be out, but, you know, serious is missing the Clemson game, right? Well, I mean, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a center with a hand, that's serious, you know, to me. That's his, you know, if that's like, you know, a quarterback hand, a hand injury, to the hand you snap with because it's not a video game. You don't hit the reset button and everybody's hundred percent again. Uh, even if you're cleared to play, you know, you just wonder, you know, being cleared, is it taped? Is he going to be as efficient as effective? I mean, 
uh, a center hurting his hand. It's, you know, it's, you know, Liberace, you know, breaking his hand before a concert. That's pretty serious. Fair enough. Uh, let's go to cover more here and get some comments. Jim Page mentioned something we did mention off the top of the program. Cole Spear does commit today for the class of 2022. Uh, we did talk about that briefly off the top of the show. But, Jeff, hop in here and give us a little bit of an analysis on what Spear brings to the table for the dogs. So I, I know Brandon. Let me let me let me think if we can get in the advanced advanced metrics, you know, kind of 4D underwater chess thinking. You wow. start thinking, your mind goes Cole Spear. And Cole Spear was basically a guy that had told us that he's going to take a minute. He's going to take a long, tall drink of water around his recruitment. He did say flowery things about Georgia. He's going to take a minute. But then he decides to commit today. Uh, also, you have news that Jake Pope's ready to commit today. Um, you have this is a pretty big news cycle, guys. I want to make sure everybody caught it. They you saw Oscar Delp dropping his Final Four, um, still sticking with that September 30th deadline date to other honor his mom Mary Delp. But it sets up where he can go see Georgia UAB on September 11th. He can go see Clemson Georgia Tech on September 18th. He can go see. Kentucky at South Carolina on September 25th, and then make that decision on September the 30th. Um, let's see, you got Cole Spear committing. You've also got, uh, you know, we had some information today about uh, five-star corner AJ Harris getting pretty close with his decision as well. And you guys, you folks, really need to know the name AJ Harris because there's a storm brewing, not maybe an Idaho, maybe an Iowa cornfield type brewing that would catch Brandon's attention <laughs> with pinstripes everywhere, but. Um, Justice Haynes and, and, and A.J. Harris, that's the 2023 guys. Clemson's big on those. Georgia's big on those as well. If Georgia does not win those head-to-head battles, that's going to say something about the future of Georgia football in comparison to Cleveland. And in comparison Jeff, to Cleveland, excuse me. Jeff, a question. More important battle to win, September 4th against Clemson on the field or A.J. Harris and Justin Haynes on the recruiting trail? You guys will not like my answer. You guys will not like my answer, but I I could say some. I could craft up some great narrative that if Georgia wins September the 4th, then they will win the next two, and I could sound like I'm a politician. But um, Georgia can't lose those guys to Clemson. I mean, Georgia can lose to Clemson this year, come back, win the SEC title, get back in the big dance, and throw some some haymakers in the big dance in the Final Four with it with a seasoned and polished offensive line, maybe the running back one and running back two humming in unison. Maybe they get everything going. They've got Trayvon Walker, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, all those young cornerbacks going as well. But um, they can come back and they can beat Clemson or win the the natty again despite despite September the 4th. But I'm not going to ignore how obvious the window dressing would be for Georgia to be able to beat Clemson by 14 points on September the 4th. Jamie Huff mentions we should do a position-by-position comparison between Georgia and Clemson. I think that would be a lot of fun. I also think, Mike, that's not quite as easy to do as it might appear, just given the fact that, as you point out, there is no more Travis Etienne anymore. It's a little bit of a new-look Clemson running game. Lynn J. Dixon's been around. But, you know, it's not super easy to know what you're getting from Clemson in some of these spots. Justin Ross, if it's the 2018 Justin Ross, then obviously that's a very good player, and it's hard for Georgia to have someone – that, that matches what Ross did as a freshman, but he dealt with a very serious medical issue. And if I had to guess, my guess is he's not 100% right now. And that still leaves guys like Jonah God and others. But what's kind of interesting about Clemson is we assume that the Clemson performance offense and defense will be up to a Clemson standard. Man, there's really a lot of new names and faces at some real key positions for Clemson. There's a reason they're ranked number two in the country, don't get me wrong. But, but a lot of the side-by-side comparisons – are going to be with inexperienced players really on both sides. Yeah, that's that's why I like Georgia to win this game, you know, uh, more comfortably than 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 some might think. You know, again, provided you know Georgia takes care of their offensive line uh, situation, whether it's the snaps or the consistency or the communication. But uh, it, it's not. You know, Trevor Lawrence was a, a fantastic quarterback. Travis Etienne was a first round running back. Um, you know, I, I don't think you just plug the next guy in. I mean, look, Georgia struggled to replace uh, Jake, and Jake was a fifth-round pick, a guy that could operate the offense, though, that you had continuity with. And, uh, you know, DJ Uyagalele, I had a chance to talk with him in, in uh, Charlotte, know a lot about him, uh, talked to his high school coaches twice when I was out in California. 
Uh, this is a guy that's, you know, you know, you know big Cinco, uh, 6'5", 250, uh, great arm. Um, didn't beat JT Daniels in high school. Didn't beat him. Um, I, I think there's a little psychological edge there uh, for Georgia. Uh, and, and I I also think that Justin Ross, like you said, I mean, this is his first game back in, in a long time. It will be hard for him to perform at the optimum level. And all that said, uh, Dabble's built an incredible program. He's you know, you look at Clemson, little old Clemson. I mean, it is the largest stadium per capital attendance in the nation. Uh, these guys win. They're comfortable in that stadium. They play there the last five years in a row. Um, but I think the sooner Georgia can strike and get up on this team, uh, I think the better. You know, talking to the Clemson guys in Charlotte, I think they know they're in for it. I think they know what they're up against. But this is a team that's gone two and two against Alabama. So I, I don't count them out. But if if chalk holds and Georgia is Georgia and there's enough healthy guys out there, um, I like Georgia to win this game by double digits. I want to get John Adams quote in a minute, but Connor jump in here. I'm going to give you guys a name to pay attention to or to watch out for specifically in that first game of the season. So think back to 2014, the last time Clemson and Georgia played to open a season. Clemson had a five-star freshman who a lot of people were really excited about. We're interested to see how he was going to play, had to replace, you know, Clemson was having to replace a legend at the position the year before from Taj Boyd. That was Deshaun Watson. Dabo didn't play Deshaun Watson a whole lot in that game. He played him for one drive. Clemson scored a touchdown on that drive, and Georgia fans were thanking their stars that he did not play more in that game because it was clear that he was just better than Cole Stout was. I think there's a chance history could potentially repeat itself this year. Clemson has a freshman running back by the name of Will Shipley, who by all yeah. accounts is really impressing right now, was a guy Georgia wanted very badly in its 2021 recruiting class and ultimately ends up going to Clemson. But as we've known and heard from Dabo, he likes to play his veterans at least early on in the season. They have guys Lin J. Dixon and Kobe Pace who are ahead of him on the depth chart. But if Dabo is going to play the veteran card and maybe not potentially play a guy who's more talented and more upside and can hang with the athletes that Georgia has there on the defensive side of the ball, That could, I think, potentially spell trouble for Clemson. So I'm going to see if Dabo has maybe learned a little bit from where he was back in 2014 and how he approaches the running back situation with Will Shipley because it's going to be incredibly difficult for this Clemson team to run the football on Georgia, provided that Jordan Davis is out there and we all expect him to be so. I think that's a good take. A guy from the Athletic this week also had a good stat. Clemson has not lost a season opener since 2014. Georgia has not lost a season opener since 2013. The last two times these two teams played each other. Let me finish with this, and uh, John Adams had a good question. This is the first full stadium in two years, or certainly we hope it uh, continues to trend in that direction, <laughs> a, a full stadium. Obviously, that will be talked about a lot by media as you head towards the game. But for anybody who wants to answer this, like – how much do these players need to remind themselves of what playing in a stadium like that is like? Because having been in stadiums a year ago, I'm telling you right now, it was very different. Stuart Mandel was on Feinbaum today. He said it was like watching a movie without a soundtrack. I actually thought that was a very good description for what college football was like a year ago. And having been lucky enough to be on some fields over the course of the years, the game just feels different when that ground is shaking underneath it because the crowd's cheering. How much of a factor does the return of fans – how much of a factor is that in a game like this? Anybody who wants to answer. I think, I mean, both these teams played in stadiums with fans. Obviously, it was a much condensed, uh, you know, atmosphere, a number of people. But it's not like they were totally playing in truly empty, no fans at all stadiums last season. And, in fact, you think back to that Notre Dame-Clemson game, if, if I remember correctly, there were quite a few fans on the field there at the end of the game. So I, I, the thing that I'm interested in is, is it an, a harder adjustment to go from from full stadium to limited fans than it is from limited fans to full fans because obviously you're going to have the noise. But in this first game against Clemson, look, people are going to be excited to be there. There's just going to be more Georgia fans at this game than Clemson fans just by, I think, the simple nature that there are more Georgia fans out there than Clemson. So I expect it to have maybe some small impact, but I just wonder how much of a difference is it from going from full to small than it is from small to full. I think that's a good point. Mike or Jeff, you all want to jump in on this before we go? I'd say it's an advantage for Georgia. You know, JT's played in front of in big games before in front of fans. DJU hasn't at the collegiate level, at least. Um, you know, this is you know DJU's. You know, he, he what he beat Boston College and lost to Notre Dame, I think, in his two starts. Uh, JT's played in big games before. He's had to run for his life in big games. I think JT will handle the moment better. I think JT would be better equipped to handle adversity. Um, again, I, I like DJU a lot. Everything I've heard about DJU Agalele 
from his coaches, uh, you know, just how, how he strives to be a perfection. I mean, this is a guy that, that skipped going to the, the, the Elite 11 camp so he could help prepare his team more for the regular season. This is a very selfless guy, um, a great leader. But, boy, you know, you get behind Georgia with that pass rush coming at you. Now, granted, it's a neutral stadium, so it's not as loud. It's not going to be as big a deal at one of these 50-50, oh, isn't the stadium pretty games as it is if you were in true hostile territory where one team has an advantage. Um, but I, I would say it favors Georgia. Jeff, last word belongs to you. Yeah, I'm going to just say this very – as quickly as I can. The fact that um, there were no stadiums, no crowd, no pressure, no pressure cooker, I think that enhanced a lot of performances last year. Some guys that played above, maybe out of their minds, um, because they felt like a practice environment. There's a lot of guys that I think went in the first round that when you get in an SEC stadium, you play in that pressure cooker. I think it's totally different, and I think it allows some guys to perform and function like it's in a practice rather than it's a, a big-time SEC game. And here's the other thing, and I'll make this my last comment for the night. I actually don't think this is going to be an antiseptic atmosphere in Charlotte. This is a pretty expensive ticket. Old people don't really travel to these games very much. The people who go to these games, who drive three hours to be there, are people who want to be there. There are people who are going to stand up for most of the game. That's probably true on both sides, the Clemson fans and the Georgia fans. My guess is you got both fan bases making a pretty good bit of noise because, uh, listen, I know the pandemic still hangs over us, but the people who are going there are hungry to be at college football because most of them were not there a year ago. I actually think this atmosphere is really going to be pretty good, and I'm guessing that both teams contribute to it, although I do agree with Connor that my expectation is that Georgia will have more of those fans there. Really good conversation here tonight. Thanks for being with us for Cover 4 Live. Of course, Mike and Connor got great coverage coming over the weekend with a big press conference from Kirby Smart and some revealing rumors and reports coming out of a Georgia scrimmage. We'll cover that. Jeff Sintel has been all over the recruiting stories for you. They're at dognation.com. Update on big-time name to know for Class 2023. Of course, the uh, four-star tight end Oscar Delp dropping his list of finalists. George Oswith gets a commitment today. There are looming decisions getting closer, including, as uh, was mentioned uh, during the show here tonight. So all of that for you online at dognation.com. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. for Dog Nation Daily. Jeff Sintel will be on hand for that there as well. Great conversation. We'll do it again next Thursday. Thanks for being here for Cover 4 Live. We'll look forward to talking to you soon.